the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. With sports back in full swing, there's no better place to get your sports coverage, long form, excellent articles, podcasts. They're bringing in new people as we speak right now. There's just so much content every single morning. It's the best app to open every single morning for me as well. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, get a personalized feed of great content built just for you as the sports fan. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription today. We are also sponsored by Dynasty Owner. Do you think you're smarter than the NFL GM? Are you the best at fantasy football? Here's your chance to prove it. Build a roster of players using their actual NFL contracts and salaries. They've got a great app we just drafted on it this weekend. It was an outstanding experience. There's so much data on there. You're looking at, uh, you know, average salaries for players, all the info you need in terms of news, projected stats. They've got it all figured out on that Dynasty Owner app. It's a, it's a really great situation over there. Visit DynastyOwner.com. Join a league today with win cash prizes and compete in the chase for the ring. Tell them Track sent you and you'll get an extra bonus after joining the league. My name is Mike Gennetti. A little bit of NFL stuff to get to you. A little house cleaning right now for our open, and then we're going to bring in Scott Allen and bounce around sports. Plenty to talk about today for sure, so I hope you enjoy that. Okay, um, contracts. We've had a bunch of extensions here that I finally sat down and, and, and sort of wrapped my head around, and I just wanted to briefly go over them because I think there are plenty more coming. So let's get through the first wave before the next wave comes in. Uh, it was a tight end Thursday a couple of weeks ago. We'll certainly talk about those here. Travis Kelsey uh, superseded to some degree the contract of George Kittle. Let's start with Kittle uh, because we've, we've spoken a little bit about the, uh, the framework of George Kittle's extension. I, I now have the breakdown that we can speak to a little bit more. It's pretty strong. It's pretty good stuff. It's got guaranteed mechanisms that you would imagine uh, any of these major elite contracts are going to have built into him. He gets, you know, 35 million, almost 36 million over the next three seasons. So, you know, that's not a ton of moolah right there. When you're looking at a contract that averages 15 million a year and you've only got 12 million a year over the first three, obviously you can understand that there were some team-friendly aspects built into this. It's an $18 million signing bonus, so he gets a good chunk of change over $20 million this year. But in terms of our potential outs, which is where we draw the line, he's going to get through at least 2022, most likely 2023, because half of his 2023 salary locks in in 2022. So. I'll put it more at four years, $48 million in terms of the potential out, which, you know, you're still talking 12 million a year. This is pretty, pretty backloaded is what I'm here to tell you. There's a, a sizable amount of base salary built into those last two seasons after he reaches the 30 year age mark. So it's going to be tough for him to get through maybe the fifth season of this contract, but the four for 48 is pretty much locked into stone. So check out that breakdown on spot track. And then, like I said, Travis Kelsey followed up, followed suit with Kansas city and a new extension for himself. He's a little bit older. So these numbers are a little bit more down to earth, but pretty strong stuff. He gets a pretty active two years, $22.5 million over the next two seasons. The cap hit didn't go anywhere for 2020. No signing bonus, which we saw with Chris Jones as well. The chiefs want to control their financial destinies. They know they're going to be up against the cap, uh, you know, this year, next year in 2022 as well especially if the league cap overall drops as well. So they want to be able to control it. And the way to control it is March roster bonuses and or all the money being poured into base salaries. So you see a lot of team-friendly situation over the next two seasons. There's a $7 million roster bonus next year for Travis Kelsey that they can restructure if they have to and basically turn that into a second-year signing bonus. So they can save themselves a good amount of money right there. 
I mean, you're talking about going from 7 million to 1.4 million. So you're talking almost, you know, five and a half million saved next year for Kansas City if they restructure that roster bonus, which I fully expect them to do. Um, good, good business. You keep a player that certainly the quarterback wants around for a couple more years. I wouldn't say this is strong in terms of longevity. I think Kansas City can absolutely get out of this thing after year after year two if they need to. He'll be 32 years old entering 2022, so it'd probably be a question mark at that point. My guess is he probably plays three years out. So three years, $30 million for Travis Kelsey is probably the more likely out here, but there's an out after year two if they need it. And the other one is Deion Dawkins. Left tackle for Josh Allen and those Buffalo Bills. Really smart signing. Buffalo's been staggering their extensions really nicely so that the guarantees and the cash flows aren't going to impact one year too heavily. They're certainly going to have to discuss Josh Allen and Tredavious White, either you know White this year, Allen next year, or maybe both next year. We'll see how that goes in terms of the 2020 production. But there's going to be a big boom of guaranteed money hitting the, uh, hitting the escrow for the bills in the next com- coming months, that's for sure. Uh, Dawkins gets a nice little deal here. It's a four-year, fifty-eight and change extension. You know, basically thirty million uh, guaranteed right now, right up front. Signing bonus and pretty much everything built into this year and next year, including a an option bonus built into next year already. So he's double signing bonusing up here, which a lot of these major contracts are starting to follow that trend. It's good. It's really good pay here. I mean, he gets you know almost forty million over the first three seasons. That's probably the shelf life on this thing. The fourth year will be a bit of an option in terms of the Bills. He'll be 29 years old. My guess is it gets through four, so four for almost 50, which, again, that's good. that's a good chunk of change for, you know, Deion Dawkins from where he's coming from, a, a middle-of-the-second-round pick, you know, $12.5 a, a year over the next four seasons. That's not top offensive line money. It's just not. I mean, you've got Brandon Scherf, a guard on a franchise tag at $17 million. So if you're getting a viable left tackle, for $12.5 million a year for the next four seasons, and you're the Buffalo Bills, you're pretty happy right now. So another big good move by Brandon Bean, and certainly getting that locked in for Josh Allen for at least this year and possibly next 2021 as well. Smart, smart business in Buffalo. Okay, we'll keep up with these as they continue to come in. There's plenty more uh, you know, extension candidates out there right now. Deshaun Watson, I mentioned Tredavious White. I put Jalen Ramsey in that conversation somewhat, and uh, we'll see what happens with those players as well. We're going to bring in Scott Allen on the Hip Rate Hotline and talk a little bit more about the rest of the sports world. Have you ever wanted to take a shot at getting a $12,000 Michael Jordan rookie card or a $1,600 autographed Tom Brady helmet for just a fraction of those prices? Hip Parade is the premier authentic autographed sports memorabilia mystery box manufacturer in the United States. Take a shot at getting an autographed item from the biggest names in the game. Get your box today at Hip Parade's exclusive online provider, dacardworld.com. That's dacardworld.com. No one has more hits than Hip Parade. Joined on the Hip Parade Hotline by Scott Allen. Scott, I want to start here. We have not discussed this yet. Lionel Messi is pulling a Tom Brady here. 20 years out the door of Barcelona. Apparently, he has signed basically his his resignation letter to the ownership of Barcelona, which he's had some odds. He's been at odds with now for a few years. So this was sort of the writing on the wall, but you never really expect this to happen. I got some numbers for you. His original buyout clause when he signed this extension in 2017 was the equivalent of 825 million American dollars. That's what it, that's what would it have cost then just to get him out the door. Then he got to pay him. Then he got to sign him. Um, the record right now is 220 euro million euro from uh, Neymar. 
That's the that's the going that's the going rate right now. So there's no question it's going to surpass that just to get him out the door. So we're talking probably a million a minimum of 250 million euro. It sounds like Manchester City has the uh, the upper upper edge here. He's go, he might be going to the English Premier League here. I, I know you saw it this morning. There's a clause in his request. So he's basically put a request out there. His his agency has basically said this is what it's going to cost. These are the teams he's interested in, and here's the stipulation. This is what we want to happen. I didn't see this coming. It sounds like there's a three-year contract f- offer for Manchester City on the table with a clause then that would send him to NYCFC in, in, in the MLS after that third year, which those two teams are linked. There's an affiliate between Manchester City and NYCFC. So he wants to play three years in the EPL and then jump to the, to the MLS and basically, you know, Continue is, is uh, basically that's like a decrease of soccer production, which he, he's going to be 36 at the time, but he still gets to be a huge name and he gets to take over the American market, similar to how Beckham finished his career in terms of soccer on the field. Uh, just give me your thoughts on the money on Manchester City. There's there's a whole another box of skeletons there to, un- to uncover. Honestly, uh, what do you think? A lot of money. <laughs> For one, I mean, that that's an insane buyout for one. Yeah. Um, I, I think you alluded to it already. The fact that they would bring him over to the MLS, sort of like a David Beckham, yeah. uh, sort of for the name, for the notoriety. Mm-hmm. And MLS is bringing on teams right now, and th- they could use that um, because they have four teams uh, in, in – about to come into the, the the league right now. You got Austin FC. They come in in 2021. You've got Charlotte coming in in 2022. You've got Sacramento and you have St. Louis both coming in in 2023. So that would put you right about when some of these teams are going to start coming in the league. So if you drop him into, you know, the New York the City small market, little market of New York, yeah. <laughs> and then you have all then they're playing all these other leagues and you get that influx of cash because people are going to want to go to him mm-hmm. and watch him play, especially if he's going to Austin and Charlotte. You're going to get that crowd when fans can go back. Hopefully by then they are back in stadiums. Um, but it, it, I, I'm curious to know the fine print, because I believe David Beckham had, you know, he came he came over here, he played, and then they gave him the option to have ownership of a team, which is now uh, the Miami team. Yep. And so I'm curious to know if Fine Print has something like that for uh, Messi here where he might be able to have stake in a new team uh, as this league continues to grow. And, uh, yeah, and, and, the, and the other note would be is – at that age, what's he's going to be like 36, 37. What, it, what is his salary going to be um, at that age? Because like you said, he's going to have a decline. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what those uh, financial or fine prints will be when all is said and done, if this goes through. Yeah. So in terms of the EPL, I'm looking now on, on our site, you, you know, the highest, basically the highest paid players in, in English Premier League make around 20 million euros a year. So, I mean, that's going to be the baseline for a messy contract in Man City. I mentioned Man City. Look, they've gone through two iterations of financial illegalities over the past five, six years, basically since Pep has come on board, Pep Guardiola, their coach. 
he's a, he's a hell of a coach. He is Belichickian in that he pushes every envelope. He crosses every line just slightly just to get that edge. And look, they didn't win. <laughs> they, they weren't able to relinquish their title. Uh, you know, Liverpool basically won this thing three quarters of the way through the season this year. Man City doesn't stand for that right now. So this is a this is the giant the biggest swing you can take. This is how you react right here when you don't win something you feel like you deserve or you've paid to win. Quite frankly, that's how soccer works. So, yeah, I, I get it. I get the match. They've done this before. They've brought in gigantic international players from from other leagues to sort of right the ship. Um, they've already let their captain and David Silva go. So I I, I get this. It's going to be absolute must see TV because. He is a polarizing coach. This is already a ridiculously talented team, and you're going to drop this bomb in the middle of it. I, I mean, good for NBC, right? Good for, good for Saturday and Sunday mornings on the East Coast for all of us soccer viewers because this is going to be an absolute gem to, to, to wake up to for at least a few years based on what we're seeing in the reports. Yeah, the money's ridiculous, and it's not about the, the weekly wage or the annual salary. In fact, that money in my opinion, isn't even enough because these guys play all year round. There's no breaks. You get you are, you are playing internationally. You are playing multiple tournaments inside of the, that one club. So what we're mentioning Manchester City, these guys play in Champions League and Euro Cups and FA Cups. They play friendlies in, in America. They play. Uh, it's just an absurd amount of soccer, not to mention the Olympics. That's all part of it as well. So, you know, thank God that this sport is marketable and that these guys make so much money on advertising and sponsorships, of course, because like I said, the, uh, the actual on-field earnings seem low in comparative to the, just how much work these guys put in. And you know, that, that money, that 820 million, the 250 million, million years we're talking about for a, a buyout, that's team to team. That's, that's not, that's not Lionel Messi's money. That's not, that's not him. So that's just what it costs. That's the purchase price just to, be able to negotiate a contract with a player. So that's how big financially speaking soccer is across the world here. That's where, what we're talking about. We've, we've started to see this in baseball with some of these uh, Japanese players, you know, just the bidding price, just to get them into the negotiating room. So, you know, we're getting a taste of that here on the American soil, but I, I have, I'm stunned by the MLS clause. I think it's phenomenal. Um, I'll be happy to see him, like I said, on, on weekday mornings on the, in the EPL if that does come to fruition and if there is an MLS clause. That's just a, a, amazing news for American soccer. Amazing news. It is. It is. And I pulled up uh, last year's uh, guaranteed money from MLS. Uh, Ibrahimovic had the highest at $7.2 million. Yeah. And then Michael Bradley at 6'4". Uh, Altador at 6'3". So Scott, that's why have, I said it'll be Do you have what Beckham made when he came over? I don't even know what year that was. Uh, 2007, he had a $6.5 million uh, guaranteed total. And then he played up until 2012 and he was at 4 million at that point. So that's six, five is that's not too far off from where the top is right now. <laughs> so financially right. speaking, the league hasn't really grown that much. It's just expanded in terms of teams and visibility, but it's not about the player salaries just yet. Huh? Well, they no, they have grown, but they have a designated player right. clause where they can designate three players that do not count against the cap. So you, that's why where you're seeing these higher valued players getting contracts that are extreme because they they're being 
quote unquote designated to sort of uh, be waived from counting against the cap. Man, how do we bring, bring that to other sports? I know, really. I mean, even I mean, it, people have talked about it with the NFL. You know, not counting quarterback salaries as part of the cap or or that kind of stuff. It's a similar situation. I mean, it may be in the NBA with the new CBA coming up that there might be something where it's not a amnesty clause where you're waiving guys, but an amnesty clause because of the lower cap or something where you might be able to designate a, a player. Um, to not count. And I'm not saying this is out there. I'm just saying this could be something that might come to the table uh, because of the situation that the NBA is Hmm. in. But I agree. I agree that something like this, even in baseball, you know, if you want to pay some of those upper echelon guys and it not count, maybe one of them towards the the tax or something like that. It's an interesting dynamic that the MLS has with that. It is interesting. And it's certainly put in place to help the league grow more and to attract some of those bigger players. Look, the cash is still being paid. So it's not, it's not like it's helping, you know, you know, owners stay above the fold there. I mean, they're still going to have to come, come up with the money to get those kind of players in the house. Yeah. That's really interesting. Especially like you said, in the, in the times we're at where the financials are all going to be dipping here in the next 18 to 24 months, I'd love to get creative with some of these leagues. I'd love to get super creative and you know, you know, you said it out loud. What if we just don't have quarterbacks count? And you know what I meant, went to immediately? Belichick's going to start making tight ends, all, all their tight ends and wide receivers quarterbacks. He's just going to list everybody as quarterbacks on the roster, right? right. Yeah, Edelman played quarterback. He's a quarterback. We just use him as a wide receiver for most games. That's where I went to yeah, immediately. I mean, well, you'd have to have some sort of stipulation where you can only use it on one player, yeah. one quarterback player. Or, or just one. Like just literally any player. I mean, if you want to pay a an inside line, if you want to be the Jets and your highest paid player is an inside linebacker, then he can be your franchise player. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? Look, we're in training camp hell right now. Twitter is intolerable. So I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of keep things light. If you've noticed, our Twitter feed is a little bit more <laughs> pop culture right now because <laughs> I can't I, I just can't can't deal with the minutiae. So, you know, all of you out there scouting training camps and getting yourself ready for fantasy leagues and all that stuff. I give you credit. This is a very tough time for me in terms of staying up with the with the day to day. Thank God baseball and basketball are here because there's been a lot to go back and forth on. Speaking of which, I was supposed to have a trade deadline show today. I couldn't bring myself to do it because <laughs> I didn't have enough content to fill on Kevin Gosman and Trevor, Trevor Rosenthal. So, you know, if you care about those two players getting moved, uh, this is this is going to be a very fun weekend for you, I think. But other than that, I can't imagine we're going to see any big names. I, I would be shocked if a no- notable player moved over the next five days. You? Yeah, I would be shocked, too. I mean, think of it. Starting pitchers, if you trade for a starting pitcher, they're only going to get four, maybe five starts in the remaining regular season. Yeah, you'll have them for the playoffs, but you know some teams aren't going to want to take on that massive financial uh, mm-hmm. obligation. Uh, it, all these teams are at this point going dollar by dollar by dollar, and every you know every aspect matters going forward they don't want to overspend they don't know where things are going to go next year so do you really want to trade for a a multi-year player that has high uh, salaries Mm -hmm. because you don't know where things are going to be even next year um, if there's going to be fans or you know whatnot so I, i do not foresee any 
earth shattering trades happening with this deadline. How do we get Mike Trout off of a 10 and 22 team? Oh my gosh. I'm He's so got, I'm so miserable with this situation now. It is. It's it, it it's you know, they brought in Rendon and they're still they're still not producing. They don't have that starting pitching. Nope. He he needs to be on a team that is going to get him into the postseason. You, you need him in the postseason because if he is on a team that continually right. of all years, there, they expanded the postseason. They're going to go off winning percentage <laughs> of all the years to make the playoffs. This is the easiest one, and they're not even going to be close. I mean, they're not even going to be close. They're the worst team in, in the American League. Yeah. We're, we're probably going to see Toronto and what maybe Baltimore or even Miami uh, for teams who those everyone are, had. Yeah, those are basement. fringe teams at least, right? But if you if they're going to make the the postseason and then you have a Angels team that is not going to make it, wow. I know. You know. Look, we ragged on them all offseason because they continually went for, for position players over pitching. Then they brought in Julio Tehran from Atlanta who – there's a reason he wasn't with the Braves. The Braves are ready to win World Series, and they let him walk. So, I, uh, yeah, I, I just I need, I need two legitimate starting pitchers to finish that team off right now and give him a chance because they, there's no question they can hit the ball. But, my goodness. All right, let me ask you this, because we talk about in the NBA, are certain guys even tradable? Is, <laughs> is he tradable? I know he has a full no-trade clause. Yeah. Um, but... At 37, a little over $37 million for his payroll salary every year. Is he even tradable? What, what could he get back for that? Um, what are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I think he is one of those players who is dying for baseball to go on strike. That's what I think. Because I think he wants things to shake up the financials of it all to work out a little better for, for players. I, I know that's a long way back and it could mean some significant time there. Are, to me, there are two, <laughs> there's a person and a team who are dying for that break. It's trout and it's the Boston Red Sox. Those are two entities right now that know what's coming and really want different outcomes on the backside of it. And I, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means he's traded. I don't know if that means, you know, the angels organization shakes it up completely in terms of the front office, because look at, at some point you just got to say enough's enough. And your question is valid because there's what I'm going to count on, on air here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There are 10 years left on Mike Trout's contract. So, right. <laughs> so what do we do with that? Mike Trout is tradable wherever the hell he wants to go is my answer to you. If, the, if he calls the Yankees tomorrow and said, Hey, can you find room for him in the outfield? They're going to find room for him in the outfield. If that means trading, you know, Stanton and tr and Judge, I bet they do it. I bet they do it. You trade Judge's six million for Trout's thirty-seven million in about an hour and a half, in my opinion, because he's just, he's he's transcending. I mean, that's the he's twenty-nine years old. He's still within his prime. Could even possibly improve in some facets, which is a ridiculous statement. But I I don't see a team that says no to Mike Trout. To me, it's is it time for Mike Trout to start looking what te which team fits him best? Because like I said, I think everybody says yes. It's where does he want to go at this point? That's a whole other show in itself, in my opinion. But enough's enough. This is, like I said, this was the year that um, a middling Angels team could, could sneak into the postseason. Generally, they're in the conversation, you know, in the middle of the season. And it's just about can they get to the finish line? And they haven't been able to do so outside of one time in his career. 
they're not going to get there in this ridiculously, you know, somewhat fake season with an expanded playoffs. And he's, and he's not going to be in the conversation. He's not going to be in the spotlight in September and October yet again. So it's just, it's just a shame. So there's your, uh, there's your pivot away from the baseball trade deadline talk right there. How do how, how the hell do we get Mike Trout out of, out of the Anaheim angels? Anyone who has an answer, hit me up at spot track. I, I would love to have that Twitter conversation right now instead of how badly hurt is David Montgomery. But, um, all right. Anything else on baseball, Scott? Been fun. These double headers are fun. I got to say that these little seven inning double headers. That's yeah, good stuff. I, I, I do. I like that. I think, I think that is something long term. Major League Baseball should definitely consider. Not a chance. Um, the stat guys will kill it. They will kill uh, it. I, I know they will, but <laughs> it, it, it it is nice. I mean, I, I have to say, um, it, it adds a interesting wrinkle to mm-hmm. the strategy for teams that, um, you know, which pitcher do you pitch when, especially if it's a day versus a night game or uh, what relief pitchers are you going to use in the first game because you won't, you most likely won't use them in the second game. Um, So I I find those double headers interesting. And then, you know, the DH, I find the DH is very interesting from the fact that it sounds like they may, uh, want to keep it moving forward. But when you look at the statistics mm-hmm. with pitchers, not batting, batting stats are low right now. Yep. I mean, I, uh, all time low. So is that just a caveat of what is going on as a whole in 2020 with, um, pitchers getting injured, um, or, you know, s- certain players not playing or you, you having to do these double headers and, and, and back to back and back of these, you know, getting uh, fatigue, but you know, major league baseball has a lot of things going on. Hopefully they can figure things out moving forward because a wrinkle that isn't going on right now, but has been talked about in the past is these auto umps, um, robo umps, and they were going to try to use it a little bit more in the minor leagues this year and they can't do that. So does that push that timeline back? Yeah, um, but I, I I like the DH. I know there's certain pitchers like down here, Max Scherzer. He loves to bat, and people love to watch him bat because of the the flair that he has. Okay, let's that. stop right there. I was going to bring this up. Okay. It's, it's a perfect transition here. Is it affecting him? Is it throwing off some of these you know Maybe. these National League starting pitchers that 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 has been a part of their repertoire, part of their routine. And now it's something they're completely abandoning. So they've had to, ch- you know, everything about 2020 is different, but that's probably one of the bigger things that's different. You know what? I, I think it could because them pitching and then going to the dugout and then them having to do a, an at bat, yeah. it resets their mind on something completely different than going to the dugout and then having to go pitch again. I know it's different in the other league, but, you know, for those pitchers that do like to bat, Kershaw, uh, you know, Scherzer, that may be that mental reset for them to then have to go back and turn it back on. It, it may just be how they're wired. So yeah, I think it could have an effect. Okay. You mentioned the injuries. Buster only, uh, did the homework for us. We'd started to do this a little bit and then he, he dropped the bomb on a Sunday column on ESPN. Here's the numbers. The first 28 days of the season in 2018, there were 38 starting pitchers, sorry, all pitchers, 38 pitchers 
on the injured list. In 2019, the first 28 days, 41 pitchers got on the injured list. In 2020, the first 28 days, 108 pitchers have been on the injured list. Mm. Wow. Yeah. But spring training doesn't count, right? doesn't matter. Right. No, those numbers. There's a lot of factors. I'm not just going to say that, but the ramp up is absolutely the biggest part of this. And uh, those are devastating numbers. That's devastating. And you and I, you and I probably know it as much as anybody because we do the transactions every day. But every every there's three to four players every single day who I, I can't believe it's just it's, the train keeps going down the tracks. There's injuries every and, single day, and, and it's gonna get it's gonna get worse as we get closer to the end of the regular season because teams that are out of it they're just gonna shut guys down for the remainder of the year because they want to preserve them for next year. Even if there's a little twinge or anything, you're probably going to see more of these pitchers just be shut down and and save them for the upcoming season instead of having to pitch one or two more starts and potentially blow something and then not be able to be back until next July or August or even into 2022 um, if they have to do Tommy John and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's – it's a, it's a slippery slope for sure. I want to switch gears. Let's talk some basketball, but not the, uh, the normal. I was on the athletic this morning, like I do every morning because, uh, well, where else do you go for long form content right now? It's, it's pretty much as unique as it gets. It's news where news really, uh, you know, isn't popular. So visit the athletic.com slash spot track, get yourself 40% off. Of course, Seth partner was one of the big writers over there. Big analytical guy, big numbers guy. He's got a, a column called The Analytical Look Around where he basically dives into different aspects of the NBA game from a, from a number standpoint. And the one he brought up today, recently, um, focuses in on the Denver-Utah series, which I know, Scott, is pretty close to your heart. You're, the, you're, you're all in on Utah right now. And look, who, <laughs> who isn't all in on Donovan Mitchell versus Jamal Murray right now? It's been oh. easily, uh, I don't know how you can't say it hasn't been the story of the entire off, uh, postseason right now. But that matchup, how you how new and unique it is now to us and the back and forth of this entire series really uh, he took a really interesting approach to this and it struck home a chord with me look part of our most of our job right now you know outside of just getting the numbers in is evaluating those numbers and, and what do those numbers mean and how do we use these numbers intelligently to actually evaluate a player from a financial standpoint you know in terms of the projections of the futures his approach was Okay, we're seeing this matchup. We're seeing Mitchell versus Murray. We're seeing, you know, Jokic versus Gobert to some degree. It's a, it's like a snapshot, right? The series is a, is a snapshot of players against each other. It's a matchup, of course. And generally speaking, especially when the season isn't chunked up like this, you know, in a normal NBA season, a player's value, his production is how did it start in October and how did it finish whenever it finishes, whether that's round one, whether that's didn't make the postseason, whether that's all the way to the finals, you know, and there are some people that say, no, 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 we're going to snap off the regular season and just evaluate a player there. And then the playoffs are different. And his point is, is that even enough? Like is, is separating regular season and postseason? Is that even enough of a deep dive into a player when this series right here could not be a better example of, two teams that have so much similarity 
that they have risen their superstars to new levels that these players have not had to, had to go to before. And we're now seeing the best of all these players because Mitchell and Murray can have back and forths because the, the way that Gobert doesn't guard Joker out, out on the three point line changes the way not only that he plays, but how Murray plays. That's why Murray is getting the opportunities that he's getting because Jokic just doesn't have to be this gigantic playmaker down in the post. He's going to stay away from Rudy Gobert. It's an interesting piece. Certainly read the whole thing. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot of this, but the idea of, you know, it's sort of like the pro football focus attempt, right? It does a, does a mm-hmm. basketball series need to be pulled out and looked at 100% isolated from everything else that happens in a season for a player, right? Does Donovan Mitchell's series against the Denver Nuggets need its own evaluation when you go to say, is this player a max player? Now, maybe it's a bad example. He's getting the rookie max extension in a couple of months here, right? But um, I, I love the idea of this. I like, I like the, I love the global questioning of this because I, I think I know where your head stands here, but what are your thoughts? I mean, is, is going this deep too much work? Is it too, is it too small of a sample size to look at five games of Mitchell versus Murray and evaluate them here separately from how you evaluate them in the regular season and then maybe somewhere else? Um, I, I think the deep dive is, I think it's needed. I think it's probably right to have a deep dive in, in a series in itself because you, you have a chess match between two teams over multiple games and each game is its own entity. And the fact that we're seeing Murray and Mitchell both together, these young guys, mm-hmm rising up and showing what they truly do have deep inside. It just shows that their ceiling is even higher than what people projected it to be. And, you know, Murray, he, he just signed an extension in 2019. So his, his new extension will kick in, in this upcoming season. He's based on the uh, 25%. Uh, he's eligible for 30% based on some metrics, but right now it's in there for 25%. So he's going to be at the um, uh, $29 million mark uh, when that kicks in. Mitchell, he, like you said, he's going to be up for uh, his extension this offseason because he's part of that 2017 draft class, so he, he'll be eligible. He's going to get a max too. So for, for players like this being rose up, uh, risen up in this playoff series and, and uh, truly it's a, a coming out party for them, mm-hmm. uh, showing what they can really do. I think from an evaluation standpoint, these teams knew what they were getting. So that they probably sort of expected this. And then some, um, other players, if it, if it was any other player, I, I think you may have to split the evaluation of all right, they're doing this against this single entity team, but over a uh, regular season that is a marathon, you may have to think of that in a different sense because of the different matchups and that kind of stuff. But don't you think teams and players individually approach the regular season completely differently? Uh, yes, I do. I mean, it's yeah. it's not even I mean, worth, we, it's not even worth the effort for Donovan Mitchell to go off for sixty one in the regular season. It's just not. <laughs> No, only if it was at the end of the season and they were vying for uh, a certain uh, position or trying just to get into the playoffs. I mean, we see it with LeBron at this this age. Oh, God, he'll say it in front of a microphone. He'll say it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
So it, it, it makes you – the NBA, I, I'm reluctant to even bring it up, but they, they'll probably never uh, shorten the marathon season. I disagree, of, Scott. Of the money. I disagree. Because of the money. I disagree. Do you really? I, I do. Because I think what they're finding, Scott, right there with, with this bubble situation is that they don't have to have – so, so what, what they can do, I think they can get it down to 71 Home, uh, regular season games with the local television contracts. I believe that's the number. It might be 75, but I think it's 71. So that's to me, that's a very in- indicative number because you continue to make the money from the local market. You can, and, and if you bring in a play-in or some sort of opening week tournament that is less, less tread on everyone individually, right? It's kind of a round-robin situation. My point is this. They brought more teams into the bubble than they had to. We still watched. You know what I mean? Right. We don't really it, care that it's Pelicans versus versus you know Wizards. Yeah. We're gonna watch. Well, There's mean- intrigue. They can get that on TV and make money off it wherever they want. They can reduce that marathon with that tournament. Everyone plays a little bit less. The money should still be there. Yeah, you know what? You make a great point. And as you're speaking, it, it made me think of this. You know, you say you mentioned a playing tournament or something like that. We had eight teams that were left out that wanted to have some kind of play, yeah. you know, maybe instead of a draft lottery, it's a <laughs> draft draft tournament where those teams that are left out of the postseason, they do a March madness style, uh, tournament and you can still have, you're still going to get the ratings. The people who are diehard fans are for the number watch. one pick. Yeah. You'd get ratings. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> So you could probably get even more games. You could probably reduce even more than 71 mm-hmm. and have a more meaningful regular season, then have this tournament, even if it was a, a week or a week and a half. Anyone that made the postseason, they have off for a week and a half because you still have games. There's no downtime. You can let some of those teams uh rest their rest their starters or recover from any injuries i mean we saw it with this bubble this layoff of three to four months we have players back in the fold that weren't necessarily going to be in because of the length of time so you may have say it say it lasted two weeks you may be able to have a two-week span where an injury where a player that got injured right at the end of the regular season would have been out for two weeks but they can come back full strength into that postseason because of that uh, two-week two uh, draft tournament, if you want to call it that. Um, so, I, yeah, the more I think about it based on what you said, they probably could get even more money off of it because of a high-stakes tournament for the number one draft. People are going to watch for that. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I have so many holes to punch into it, though. Like, let's say this happened last year. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to think of a team who had free agent who was in a bad team. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? I do. Why is that player playing? All right. Right. For instance, Golden State would be in this year's tournament. Yeah. Why would Steph play? Why would Steph play? Why would Clay? Yeah. Why would those players play? That's a good point. Yeah, I mean the the risk of injury for a free agent, you you probably have opt outs. It'd be it'd, it'd be treated a lot like uh, college football bowls, but I think the NBA would take it still. 
they take it. Bowl, yeah, bowl you, games aren't going away <laughs> just because Trevor we, Lawrence we watched, opts out of it, you know? <laughs> we watched the Brooklyn Nets yeah. for eight games plus, yeah. you know, they're, they're round one here. Uh, so, yeah, th- there are going to be holes punched in it, but well, I the, think, well, the other I think that's is, more... Intri- the other hole is this, Scott. I, I don't know if it would fix tanking, but... It would help. Instead of selling at the trade deadline... You understand what I'm saying? Like you, you can't just go and sell two big yep. pieces if you're trying to get the number one pick because you have to be able to win the losers bracket. Correct. So is it gonna is it gonna slow the movement of good players to contending teams? Because that's something I don't want to happen. That to me that's a bigger hole than players opting out because they don't want to get hurt on their way to free agency. But to me, those are the two ones I can identify right off the top of my head here. But I put a tournament somewhere is the overarching point I'm trying to make here. <laughs> Reduce the regular season minutia. Give us a tournament. Give us a, bu- if you want to bubble it, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. I mean, this Disney bubble has been outstanding. Let's get it every year. Well, let's get it every year. Let, let, let's loop back to the Mitchell and the Murray. Okay. I wonder if why they are rising right now is because there are no fans. Yeah, There's I know no, there, there is pressure from the fact that they're leading their team and they want to get to the next round, but they don't have those fans necessarily around them, whether they're in Denver or they're in Utah, you know, they're able to rise to a level without external pressure. Well, you say that, but one thing I've noticed having watched now almost every single night, it's at least a few minutes here and there, the benches are starting to get a lot more vocal and a lot more into it. And yes, they are. That ain't, Joe Smith sitting up in, with, with, you know, just drowning down about beer number four in section 102, who's got something to say to you after you miss a shot. That's targeted, personal. You know what I mean? Like these guys yep. know how to get each other under each other's skin. There's, there's, a, there's a general, te- that's why we see, I mean, look at, if there's a flaw in Lucas game, it's that he can be easily gotten to. <laughs> I mean, he's yes, got, he's got same. an attack eight minutes into a game, three out of the four last games. So uh, that to me, that's a flaw. He's, he's weak in that regard. Um, but I'm starting to notice that benches are starting to become more polarizing, more big, bigger parts of these games because of the lack of fans, because they are the only noise in the room and because everything they say is hitting home. So uh, it is, there's no question it's interesting, but take that one more level. You're right. Mitchell and Murray on the court. That's all. They're just feeding off each other. There's no, there's no noise. There's no momentum. They're feeding off each other. So if, if Mitchell's having a night there, you know, somebody else in that gym wants to try to match that kind of momentum. You're right. There's nowhere else to go with it. The the oxygen is going from left to right. It's not leaving the court by any means. It's no coincidence that they both had 50 point plus on the same night. And then last night, Mitchell goes down, shoots a three, and then Murray's coming back and trying to one up him. I mean, it's, it's no coincidence. So maybe, maybe this would have happened regardless if there were fans or not, if they ended up playing each other, but they are, they're pushing each other. And the fact that both of these players are going to be with their respective teams for the foreseeable future yeah. uh, and going up against each other for essentially the next five years, if they meet in the playoffs every year going forward, I mean, it's going to be something special to watch. So is back to the, the data is what we're saying more of just a scouting term, you know, is it just an evaluation of how you, how you play against somebody or, you know, 
or, or is it, do you, do you have to take it to the level of this? Do you have to say if I'm, if I'm, cause I think Jamal Murray for a lot of people is probably coming to the forefront for the first time. You know, I saw him a lot of Kentucky, well, a lot who, who stays anywhere for a long time in college anymore. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think I knew he had this kind of level, but this is certainly his biggest stage. Um, but do you then say, okay, how are they matching up? from a defensive standpoint against this Denver team to force Murray into this kind of offensive stroke, what other teams are going to be like that? Do you have to then go down that route? Do you have, does this have to become a matchup grade from a statistical perspective Mm -hmm. so that you can say, Hey, Murray might, because look for DFSers, (laughs) you know what I mean? I'm thinking betting here more than anything. You know, these guys are, these guys are going to get paid no matter what, if they can put 60 in the bucket. So, um, but from a DFS standpoint, can I say there are t- there, these three teams stylistically look like Denver or look squeezy, look like Utah. So Murray should be motivated to get his points against these three, four teams. Where is that match? Where's that matchup stat? Uh, because, you know, maybe it's not like I said, a global evaluation of a player specifically, but it's a matchup a grade that we can start to attach to these players to say, hey, you know, there are nine or 10 games on this regular season schedule. If even if we have to go to that level to say, Hey, this is where he should get off right here because you know, this matchup grade, this analytical grade that partner mm-hmm. I was kind of alluding, alluding to here says as such, we can definitely get to there, right? Yeah, that that's an interesting aspect. I haven't seen anything. Maybe it's out there and I just haven't seen it, but that having a matchup grade or uh, metric, would be interesting because what's um, interesting, Scott, is it's not just somebody against Murray. It's got to be how the entire team plays right. against an entire team. Because the, mm-hmm. the point that Seth Partner was making here is, it's is Murray's going off because of Rudy Gobert, <laughs> because Gobert re- refuses to defend a player outside of the paint, and when he stays in the paint, Jokic stays outside of the paint, and that forces Murray to have space and open shots. So it's. It, it's, n- it's not a one-to-one <laughs> relationship. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a scheme it's and style. So it's yeah, almost, it's you know, defensive schemes like in the NFL, how we've sort of really gotten into deep dive in, into those. Do we have to start doing that with basketball from an analytical standpoint to become better betters, <laughs> better DFS players? I think we might have to. Yeah, I, I agree with that statement for sure. I mean, I, when we were talking, what, last week, I said certain matchups you had to watch for because of, of the points and, and that kind of stuff. So it mentally, I guess, I, I was doing that mentally in my head when I did. I, I picked Murray last night, and it helped me out in, in my lineup. So um, Humble brag. Well, it was I knew it was him or Mitchell, but Murray's value – financially in DraftKings was lower than Mitchell. So I I opted to go with him and that allowed me to pick Kawhi Leonard and some other guys as well. But you make a great point that it comes down to the coaching and knowing what players you're playing against. The fact that Joker can go outside and and stretch it. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't pull Gobert and he pulls someone else, Murray is that quick off the step going through the paint that, he, he's going to blow by mm-hmm. almost anybody. Um, and it goes to drafting and player scouting. I mean, the fact that Denver and Utah, these are two guys that they, they've drafted. and Not number you know, one overall, by the way. Not even close right, Murray, in some cases. Murray was the seventh pick, and, yep. and Denver got it from a trade. They were, it was, I'd have to go back and look what trade it was part of, but it was from the Knicks. 
Yeah. So Mitchell was 13. <laughs> Gobert was tw- a second rounder or a late first, 27th. And then Joker was a late second rounder. So, yeah, yeah these so, aren't these aren't, you know, out of the box superstars by any means. Well, and, and then you go to some of these other teams. I mean, Pascal Siakam yeah. and you got Fred Van Vliet that we talked about. You know, these are players that aren't going number one. And we talked about this with Philadelphia yeah. last pod um, with all the number one or top two, three picks that they've had. You're seeing teams that are out scheming other teams based on who they draft and based on skill set and, and seeing what kind of ceiling that the player has that fits into their current scheme. Mm-hmm. Okay. What else? Anything else on basketball before we move on here? No. Um, yeah, actually one, one quick note, we may hit about, uh, upon it later, but you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of coaches, a lot of turnover, uh, Pacers being swept. They got rid of their, uh, Nate McMillan head coach and he had just signed an extension, I believe like a month ago. So I, I don't blame him. Uh, that was a pathetic outpouring. I, I understand they've had injuries, you know, not having Sabonis this year, not having all the depot last year, but you know, you got to get it done. You got to, you got you to yeah. at least have a better showing than that. Well, I, I bring it up because we may have D'Antoni yeah. who may not be back with Houston. I believe his contract is up after this season anyway. So he may be out there as a free agent coach and who are they going to pay for him? But we talked about it last time too. You got with the coaching situation in, in college, you may have some of those coaches that may want to take a stab at one of these teams, especially, I mean, we've got five or six openings right now and there's probably going to be more coming. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where some of these coaches or are, are you going to bring in a vet? You're going to go with a, a college coach. Uh, so it's something to keep on the radar because like we just said, coaching, at least in the Utah Denver series, it, it, it has mattered. Yeah. Scheming has mattered. Yes. And eventually we're going to make it matter for our betting <laughs> addictions. All right. Yes. All right. Good stuff. <laughs> Let's switch gears one last time. Back to the NFL here. Uh, I mentioned we've got a bunch of storylines we have written up for this 2020 season. Let's get to one more. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, you can keep this as short and sweet as you want, or you can kind of uh, talk yourself through this one. We've got a list of trades that happened this offseason in the NFL. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, some more sexy than others. I'm not asking for the sexiest because I think there's a couple that stand out in that regard. Which one is going to make the most impact in 2020? I'm not talking about after that. I'm not talking money. I, I think they're all going to have some sort of financial benefit. I mean, some already did in terms of, you know, Nick Foles to Chicago. That was a big financial restructure. Trent Williams did not get new money. He agreed to not talk about new money with San Francisco. The same can be said for Jamal Adams. It was agreed to that Seattle will not discuss money with him this year. I would imagine DeAndre Hopkins is in that same camp with Arizona right now. He probably needs one year before they rip up the last two and start over. Darius Slay got the highest average salary in terms of cornerbacks to join Philadelphia. That was basically why he left Detroit in the first place. Then you got Gronk. Matt Breida to Miami is somewhat interesting on a lower level. Hayden Hurst to Atlanta. He's going to be the starting tight end there now. He replaces Austin Hooper immediately. DeForest Buckner for a high first-round pick leaves San Francisco to go to the Colts, a team that really couldn't stand to lose their first-round picks, but they did and paid him $21 million a year to do so. 
there's there's more. I mean, Stefan Diggs to the Bills. Talk me through it here. Which one's going to have the most impact in 2020? I imagine it's going to be hard to to not choose a skill player here, but yeah, positive or negative? No, I mean, I, go for it. I mean, yeah, you want to you want to dump on the Browns some more or the Bears some more? Is that what you're going to do here? <laughs> <laughs> it's crossed my mind. <laughs> um, you know. I'd like to say that I think the most impact would be the Hopkins trade. Okay. Um, because I think having that wide receiver caliber with Murray, it's just going to give him that extra uh, player to rise to the next level from what we saw last year. Now, I know his he may take a hit as far as receptions because of – uh, some of those other wide receivers on that team. Yeah, pretty good ones. But but, but I think I think that's going to be the positive uh, impact that Murray needed. He just needed that extra uh, level. The running back with trading Johnson to Houston in that trade. You know, <laughs> Murray can move. I don't know if he necessarily needed. He's in, in what they have Kenyon Drake, who showed to be a viable back. So you go and get that weapon that he can actually throw to. And, and when Hopkins has the ball, I mean, he's he's one of the best. So I think that is probably my number one positive impact moving forward. Um, let, me, uh, my, let, let me let me let me counter real quick. I, I'm not okay. gonna, I'm not going to punch a hole in it. Not really. But let me just add an amendment onto it. Steve Kime, the GM of the Cardinals, you mentioned you mentioned two really important things. Uh, he brought in depth at the wide receiver position. That is the 2020 use for this trade. Okay, yep. it's we get we get arguably the a top three wide receiver in the league right now. I, under term, we don't we don't have to t- discuss his contract, so that's another part of this. And oh, by the way, here's your second part. We get the, we get the offload David Johnson's contract, which incredible. Yep. That's an incredible move to get a player of his caliber in a process of rele- relieving yourself from thirteen million dollars of cash to a running back. That's just you know in the current state of football right now, that is a that's a win. Even if Hopkins is is a shell of himself, you have been successful in offloading that 13 million to David, to David Johnson, in my opinion. And Johnson's a nice player. He's going to make an impact at Houston. There's no question, but you also alluded to the running back situation in Arizona. Kenyon Drake's on a transition tag. They have Chase Edmonds who can play some ball. And Oh, by the way, they drafted both of those guys replacement (laughs) and, you know, Benjamin in the draft in the round, you're supposed to do it in the middle of the draft. So yes, we're talking about the impact of 2020, but, but what this team has done in acquiring Hopkins and drafting Benjamin is they have already rostered their eventual replacements for Larry Fitzgerald and Kenyon Drake. It's already done. Yep. It's done. Now you can say there's a, there was a lot cheaper way to do it at the wide receiver position, but they've already got Christian Kirk under cost control right now. And Andy, Andy and Isabella, Isabella cost controlled Kyler Murray cost controlled. So you can go and take a big swing. We just did this in our fantasy draft, Scott. You know, when you cost control a couple of big, pl- a couple of players in skill positions, you can take a big reach somewhere. That's all they're doing here. They're taking a big reach, knowing they're going to have to pay DeAndre Hopkins $23 million in probably 10 months. But because of how the rest of the roster is built, they can, they can stand to do that. They can afford to do that. So it's not just about the 2020 for this move, 
but it is depth and coverage for the retirement of Larry Fitzgerald and for what I would imagine moving on from Kenyon Drake after the 2020 season. It's, it's sneaky, sneaky, brilliant work from Steve Kime in Arizona right now. Yeah, completely agree. Um, my second positive impact is going to be uh, two trades. Seattle Seahawks. Okay. They traded for Adams. They traded for Quentin Dunbar, mm-hmm. two defensive players there. So the reason I'm bringing them up is they don't make trades hmm. all the time. They pick and choose. But they're a team that has typically drafted players and kept those players. Um, they're, they're in top five right now. Uh, if, if you look on our site, we have under the cap tracker section acquired by. And if you look at the drafted, the Seahawks are in the top five of players on their team that were drafted by them. Mm-hmm. Free agents, they're in the, the low fives. So they, 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 they're keeping players that they draft in and they don't necessarily have to sign via free agent. So they've done a trade or two, in this case, two in this offseason. And they're about middle of the road with trades compared to everybody else. Mm -hmm. But I think those two, like you just said, cost control. Yes, Russell Wilson has an uh, extremely high cap hit at the quarterback position. But they're getting all these players via draft. And some of them are cost controlled. So they can take a stab at taking a trade. Well, I think what you're trying to say is they stagger. They stagger their approaches. They stagger. Yeah. They go through windows of free agent spending. They go through windows of trades. They go through windows and they stagger their extensions. So Russell Wilson was paid in a, in a time when they were cost controlled. They had just depleted that defense. That was crazy or expensive. It, I mean, it, it certainly got them you know, to the finish line in, in those big years. But by ripping that apart from a financial standpoint, you then could afford to pay Russell Wilson. They're not trying to lump everything together at the same time like they're... <laughs> Crosstown rivals the Rams have done, and it puts you in a really bad spot, you know. And oh, by the way, the Chiefs are there right now, so we're going to see if this thing can get through one to two more years in Kansas City without blowing up. But that's a risk you take when you lump everything together like this. They've been very, very smart of staggering their work. You're right, not just in extensions and actual cost and dollars on the roster, but how they acquire their players. There are times to spend in free agency, and there are not. And more than not, teams are saying no right now in free agency. Look at there's, they just let Jadavian Clowney walk into free agency and they haven't brought him back yet. So that's a, that's a <laughs> perfect example right there. That's one of the top five free agents on our list in March who still is without a home. So there's something else though. Uh, you mentioned the Adams trade. They gave up a first round pick in 2021 for that. Who cares, right? Who cares? Yeah. That pick's yeah. projected to be 22, 23, 24, somewhere around there. This is right. going to be the hardest draft in the history of football. Okay. There's going to be no college football to, to evaluate. So if you're not getting one of those top 10 players where everyone's, everyone knows who those players are going to be, you know, those, those are the shoe ins. When you get into the twenties in the first round, I understand those are supposed to be easy picks still. They're just not going to be, they're, they're not going to be easy picks because you're going to have to look on old tape, old scouting. You have to, to trust, you know, coaches and players you're talking to in, in personal interviews. You're going to have to, you know, Pro days, if those are possible, are going to be as big as ever. It's going to be really hard to draft to draft starting roster players, even in the first round in 2021. So if you can go and get a cost-controlled Jamal Adams instead, you do it. You do it. 
I, I don't blame them for that. I don't blame the Bills for giving up a ton of draft picks for Stefan Diggs. I think that, generally speaking, in a lot of off seasons, if you and I are sitting down and having a conversation about trades that just happened, anyone who gave up a first round pick, I've already got a preconceived notion that it's going to be a bad move. I'm thinking the Raiders, right, with Mac and and Mari Cooper. You know, did they really get enough back for those players they let walk away? I'm not thinking like that this year. That that's off the table for me right now. If you can get a, a starting player on your roster and improve your roster, and you have to give up a first to do it, I'm probably on your side this year. Yeah, yeah, and I would love to see more teams take. And we've said this before. Yeah. I'd love to see more teams take chances with these trades because you know we've talked about it in basketball. Sometimes having a trade and moving a player. Yeah, you'll get an asset back, but that player sometimes needs a new, uh, a new view, a new team, a new outlook. Sure. Some of these players need that. Um, so it's going to be fun to see where some of these players. Um, Give me a bad what, one. Are you are, one? are you down I, on are you down on Foles? I'm I'm really starting to come around on it. I I I think, I think it's okay. Okay. I think it's okay, especially if Trubisky doesn't work out and you've got Foles at a veteran and then you maybe you go somewhere else if you need to after the fact or, you know, there's there's always options. Yeah. Who knows? They may flip him as another trade somewhere else because someone needs a, a backup or something. Where I'm where I'm sort of pointing to is the Gronk trade. <laughs> you know, $9 million for a guy, yeah, he didn't play a year, but – you know, what is he going to be? You're trading him and that's $9 million. Maybe they could have spent somewhere else. Um, yes, it's only a, it's the last year of that contract. You know, New England specifically held on to him and didn't release him or anything. It's sort of like in basketball. Uh, teams hold on to players' rights so that they can f- flip them in trades as part of, you know, and assets to other teams because they may want to re-sign that player. Yeah. You know, New England specifically did not put him as a retired or didn't waive him because they knew something like this could happen. And kudos to them for thinking ahead and and doing so because they they got something back for Gronk. And you know, if you're Tampa Bay, you know, nine million especially right now with however many games that we're going to get in that 9 million could go a long way with some players that you may need to sign because of injuries, especially next season. That's money. You you can't roll over now too. Correct. Yeah. I'm going to give you my best trade. Okay. My best trade is Calais Campbell from Jacksonville to Baltimore. It was the first trade of the off season. Okay. And it probably went through a lot of people's radar underneath it. He's going to be the starting defensive end for the Baltimore Ravens, who are maybe the 1A team in the AFC right now, right? It's Kansas City, then Baltimore. Right. They're better with him, okay? They gave him a extremely friendly contract because he's been paid already. I mean, you know, you go to Jacksonville, play defense, you're going to get paid. We know that much. So uh, they put him on a two for 25 with basically 20 fully guaranteed right now. Good money, you know, but 12 and a half in the grand scheme of defensive ends in the league. You know, and he's he's 33. So maybe it's a little bit over in terms of his age, in terms of how you analyze that. But he's going to be the starting defensive end for the Baltimore Ravens this year. What's the draft compensation for Clay Campbell, Scott? 
the number 170 pick in the 2020 draft. Oh, wow. A fifth round pick for a starting oh, wow. defensive end on a, on a Super Bowl contending team. Uh, I can't beat that. Yes, no, she, yes, she had right. to pay him. Yes, Jacksonville yeah. was in a position where they were just trying to sell every piece. But that's the first move they made. That, uh, they got killed. <laughs> they got killed for that trade. They got absolutely yeah, killed. Because you just if, said it. Rob Gronkowski came out of retirement. New England couldn't even afford to put him on the active roster. They didn't have the cap space to activate him. They had to trade him. It was like base, It was like you know saying on Twitter, who wants Rob Gronkowski? We, don't, we can't do it. And they still got a fourth-round pick for him. A fourth. They got better compensation for Rob Gronkowski than the Baltimore Ravens <laughs> gave up to get the starty defensive end for 2020. That's crazy. Not going to beat that, in my opinion. Yeah, and you know, if, if Jacksonville would have even floated out just know, wait, just wait. You didn't have to do it then. Just wait. But yeah, but even if you wait, you know, even if they put the sniff out there that, hey, we're thinking of trading him. Yeah, they could have definitely got something higher than a fifth round pick from a team. There's no question. There's, there's just no question. So uh, that's the big win for me. Baltimore wins that one in kind of a landslide. I don't really have a worse Um you know, I've crushed the Foles one enough, but look at <laughs> here's all I'm going to say. It was a fourth round pick, by the way, there, there as well with a heck of a lot of money that they eventually had to restructure and basically into a three year fully guaranteed contract. The, you know, it's, 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 it's okay. It's about 24 million that they're going to absolutely have to pay him probably just for this one year. And then they cut him after next year. Cause here's what I'm thinking. And I did some work on it today in terms of the depth of quarterbacks on these teams. I don't think Nick Foles wins that job. I think Nick Foles probably plays some football in 2020, but I think Trubisky probably still wins this job out of camp. And if he does, it's because he's improved. And if putting Nick Foles in this situation forced Trubisky, you know what I mean? If it lit a fire under his butt, then I'm not going to crush that. That's good. That's a good veteran move by that bears team because the backup plan is Nick Foles just plays in a system. He already knows. But mm-hmm. if, if it really does get Trubisky going and you can try to get an actual show me year out of him in 2020, then that's as successful as you can be with a trade, in my opinion, at, at the quarterback position, because you're really not giving up much to, at, you know, to take this attempt. Um, I'm, I'm okay with really most of these moves. I'm happy Trent Williams has a new, a new home. I hope he stays healthy for Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo certainly needs that out there right now. Uh, here's, my, here's my worst trade. And there was a need for it. So it's not, it's not that Houston shouldn't have done this, but I'm going to put the Brandon cooks trade on notice because the teams that have traded Brandon cooks (laughs) are teams that don't necessarily give away top talent, the saints, the Patriots, the Rams. You know what I mean? I mean, these are teams that are in it. They've been in it for a couple of years now. And if Brandon cooks cooks was as talented and important to these teams as his salary, his draft position, etc. say that he should be, they would not be moving on from this player. They just wouldn't. Um, so I'm putting Houston on notice with this move. Now, okay. they acquired him in a fourth for a second in, in 2020. That second round pick turned into Van Jefferson for the Rams, who fantasy sleeper guys out there, if you're looking for a name, that's a name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because if you've indulged in any of this training camp Twitter, which like I said, I've tried, but it's this one's been in your face. 
this guy apparently is going to be the guy in LA van this van Jefferson. So that's one part of the trade that I don't like for Houston, that they gave up a pick that turned into an absolute monster cost controlled wide receiver. Um, and I also just don't, I, I think Deshaun Watson deserved better. Quite frankly, you're going to pay your quarterback $41 million in a couple of weeks here. You know, all the signs point to it. And you're giving a Randall Cobb and Brandon cooks and Will Furler who can't stay on the field and Kiki Kute who's hurt again. So what are you doing here? Well, you know, this is starting to sound like Aaron Rodgers and, and the Green Bay weapons. So I, you're right. I, I'm, look at that's a name. They brought in a name. He can certainly run, you know, and if Watson can, can, can link up with him down the field that there's going to be some big plays out of cooks and Watson. But I just think, you know, you know, trying to replace DeAndre Hopkins with three or four depth guys and hoping that that works out is risky. And like I said, when you're about to put your quarterback into a financial situation that's going to put him on a pedestal, this is not the best approach. So to me, that's probably the worst trade we've had this offseason from a fit standpoint. It's a one for $8 million contract. They can cut him after this year for no dead cap. I mean, the Rams took on all the dead cap. So there's no financial risk. So I'm not going to crush the contract too much. But like I said, you gave up a second round pick that turned into turned into what looks like a monster wide receiver on a five year on a four year cost controlled rookie contract. So, you know, mm-hmm. shouldn't they have just done that? <laughs> yeah, good point. Is there a I mean, you dive into the NFL numbers way more than me. And so my question for you is, since we're talking about trades here, is there a player off the top of your head that you think will or should get moved via trade? I'm very concerned about Ben Roethlisberger right now and his physical abilities. Uh, the, the injury he's coming back from has been documented as one of those that many don't come back from. Now, he is a massive physical specimen. So uh, if anybody, if, he, if he's put in the work, which I'm going to guess he has, then he should be able to get back to full strength. But these are the kind of injuries that, that really take away from your, your, your overall muscle abilities. Um, so I'm worried that Pittsburgh, look, I don't think Mason Rudolph can do it. I don't like their their backup situation at all. So I'm looking at Jacoby Brissett in Indianapolis. I'm looking at backup quarterbacks right now who could be expendable with their current situation. If a team like Pittsburgh, who they're kind of all in right now. I mean, James Conner's one and done. Juju Smith-Schuster is going to want to get paid after this season if he's worth anything in terms of production. Uh, and they're not in good cap shape because of Ben's contract and a couple of defensive extensions. So uh, I'm looking there for possi- some possible movement. Outside of that, look, some of these running backs probably need to go. If you're a running back who needs to get paid next year and you're on a bad team, you should be demanding to get the hell out of town, in my opinion. You should be going to contenders, even if your production is going to be less. There's just not going to be money there anyway. So go and get on a team that's going to put you in the spotlight a little bit more and uh, try to get yourself into the postseason. To me, that's that's a big need. I'm, I'm, I'm still not positive that Dallas is done. I'm still not positive that Cleveland's done. I think Cleveland has too many mouths to feed on that offense right now. I know David Njoku, the tight end, says he's not, he doesn't want to go anywhere. But you, you bring Austin Hooper in on over $10 million, and I just wonder if you're not trying to bring in some draft picks, if you're Cleveland for Njoku right now, and try to push him to a different change of scenery. So those are some names I'm, I'm seeing for sure. There's others. I mean, you know, if the Rams start to decline, to me, Jamal Ramsey's on notice, or excuse me, Jalen Ramsey's on notice because he's going to have to get paid after 2020. Uh, anyone else you're thinking of? No, I, no one off the top of my head. That's why I asked you. I, I'm curious to see if we, 
if we have something like the ba- major league baseball trade deadline where there's they're not going to trade this year yeah um because of they, they don't know how many games that they're going to get through they if they we get to the trade deadline and it's still an unknown if they're able to play you know the last six games or something like that our team's going to want to take on those trades or well um there'll be two things to think of one will be that uh, you know just how chaotic is the season in terms of a covid stance and then the other is you know are we starting to hear rumblings about what that salary cap is actually going to be in 2021 because if that starts to come out and it's down in the 180s or the 170s god forbid you're going to have teams that just don't have a choice they're going to have to move some of these players and and you know you can restructure until you're blue in the face but that's going to make for some ugly seasons down the road I do expect at some point a rash of trades to happen. I don't know if it'll be the deadline or if it'll be, you know, that first league day at <laughs> at noon Eastern when everything kind of, you know, Schefter's sitting on 47, 47 text messages that he uh, he has published tweets for that all come out at the same time. But, I mean, you know how that works. So uh, there, at some point, there's going to have to be a trade cap casualty, uh, you know, outright release boom because of the, the financial situation in the league. But... I don't know when we'll figure that out and and when teams will start to react to that. But yeah, there's some names for sure out there. I just, uh, you know, we don't have preseason injuries and we don't have, (laughs) you know what I mean? We don't have those high profile, uh, you know, which is a good thing. It's, I think it's a good thing, but you know, you're still going to have teams lose some players here. Right. I was going to say it it is a good thing, but are we going to end up with what's happening in baseball? Yeah. The the starting pitcher injury count. Exactly. (laughs) They start playing, and all of a sudden, hamstrings are popping. Spoiler, and, Scott. Yes, we're going to see that. <laughs> so, it, not to get off the the, the trade, I'm, I'm we're towards the end of the trade conversation here. But are our teams going to have more than fifty three? Are 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 they bargaining to have extra slots because of the potential of these injuries, or um, is the NFL just going as status quo moving forward and you put them on your IR and you move on. They expanded the practice squad to 16 players per the COVID-19 protocols. And you can protect four of those players every week. So they can't be, you know, poached off your roster. Um, And I believe two of those spots. Yeah. Two of those spots can be moved up and down at will. And look at, there's no more, uh, there's no more limit on, you know, years of experience. So you can take, uh, you know, a 10 year veteran running back like Devontae Freeman and dump him on your practice squad if you have to for, for just for depth purposes, because, you know, you're going to lose guys to the COVID or, or, or just random injuries like this. So, yes, there's a there's a smaller increase of alternate site expansion to some degree. And you do have that that Sunday morning two two roster addition, so you can bring bring it up to fifty five players for a game day. So there's a little bit of wiggle room. I hope it's enough. And it, by the way, if you're a commissioner of a fantasy league out there, I would recommend opening up every single IR spot available <laughs> to your players, because I think there's going to be a lot of weekly trans transactions for that kind of stuff. So so you bring up the Freeman or say anybody else say a guy gets injured and they don't want to throw him on the injured reserve could they throw him on the practice squad and so it not count against the cap that's another one it, any player on injured reserve can be taken off of injured reserve this year so you can quickly stash a player on IR and bring him back as necessary once he's healthy so again they did make it a little easier to to maneuver because but I mean, if a guy goes but if a guy goes 
is put on the practice squad and has a seven million dollar cap hit. No, nope. he's got to be released first. Squad? He's got to be released first. Re- released and then signed to the practice yep. squad. He yep. just dropped to it. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. 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 Because yep. I, I was thinking someone like the uh, uh, New England Patriots who try to find loopholes, and I didn't know if that was a loophole. Well, they could just drop two of those. Like I said, two of those players are going to be able to move up and down freely. So in those regards, Scott, I guess your scenario could come into play where you could kind of use like a, like a, a high paid G league promotion for the NBA. You know what I mean? You could, that, that there will be some wiggle room there where so you that, can stash a vet down there and move them up and down every Sunday. But the, but those players on the practice squad, they do count against the overall cap. Everybody does the whole practice squad. Yeah. You can pay a practice squad player, whatever the heck you want. <laughs> it's just generally speaking, it's the minimum or at least the league minimum for that, for that player's years of experience. So, we are going to see some more higher play players on the practice squad so that you can get the, the depth you want. You know, if you want to put mm-hmm. a running back on there, who's got, you know, I'm trying to think of a running back outside of Freeman who's sitting out there looking for a job right now. But yeah, those kind of guys are going to be added for this exact reason. You're going to want to be able to pull somebody, you know, you want those guys practicing to some degree and understand your system. And then you want to be having them available as ready. So is there, are there no stipulations for IR? I know in the past, once you put them on IR, they can't what play for eight weeks or something like that. If they're on IR, they could be on it for one week and then be back the next week. Yep. No, it's a little bit more strict than that. So the new rule for 2020 here is if a, if a player is put on the IR or the NFI, so it could be a football or a non-football injury, they have to be out for a, a, max, a minimum of three weeks. And then after three weeks, they can be placed back into practice. And then the team has 21 days at that point to bring them back to the active roster. Now, that doesn't qualify for COVID-19 positive tests, positive cases. There's no minimum, no maximum for those guys. As soon as they, they're put on the commissioner's exempt list, which is that kind of like side list that they're kind of in, in limbo, right? which means they could be brought on and off at any point in time. So as soon as they are cleared from a a health standpoint, they can be brought back onto the active list. But yeah, they, they certainly gave teams a lot more flexibility with that three week, you know, turnaround for IR players. You could put a guy on there who's just got a sprained ankle, high ankle sprain and bring, Mm -hmm. bring him back in a month versus shelving him for the whole season. Like you generally had to do right now. Can a team, that has a player on the IR say, say a guy, because I'm thinking of, you know, if, if the season does get truncated um, halfway through or something like that, if you have a guy on the IR, those guys can be traded just as much as guys on the active roster and, or generally speaking, you got to be able to pass. Yeah. You got to be able to pass a physical. So, and that's usually a team by team relationship. So uh, you won't see too much of that. Um, well, I was just thinking from the standpoint of if a guy's injured, but then a team wanted to trade thinking he'll come back healthy for the up following season, you know, they want to jump on it now as opposed to having to wait. But I, I could see yeah. them needing to pass the physical part. One thing we will see a rash of, and I'll finish on this, Scott. I mentioned how teams will be sort of preparing for that 2021 league cap situation. You know, that isn't just going to be about getting players off your roster, but we'll see, we're going to see more extensions. We're going to see teams restructure contracts with extensions to lock them in for a couple extra years, but also lower cap hits so that they can roll over more money or just flat out reduce money for next year. That's, uh, you know, that's not just going to be the big guys. You're going to start to see your average, average, you know, Joe's get some one to two year extensions to lower their cap hit for 2021. It's going to be good, smart business out of teams to do it. Last thing I have is 
Do you think you'll see trades more of the Brock Osweiler where teams will take on? No way. Cap hit? No way, because nobody's buying a draft pick for this unknown draft. Uh, to me, to me, not this season. I, I would never okay. buy a high draft pick for this draft. <laughs> I, w- I just wouldn't do yeah. it. You're talking 2022? Maybe we're talking, but um, no, there's just too many unknowns that I'm not taking. I'm not taking somebody's cash and cap off their roster. I shouldn't say nobody. I mean, look, there's going to be teams that are so flush with cap that are going to be way down there, you know, Washington, Carolina to some degree, um, that that'll be an option for some teams, but I don't know. I, I can't imagine. Look, here's, here's a team that might do it. A team that wants Trevor Lawrence and they need ammo. They need, they need trade ammo. And the only way, mm-hmm. the, the only thing teams want there are first round picks. So, you know, in that case, you're probably throwing out all, all of my complaints because it's just about acquiring as much ammo as possible to get up to number one overall. I don't know if it's doable, but we've certainly seen it happen in the past. But yeah, I, I would say for the most part, that kind of situation is probably out the door this year because of the unknowns. Okay. All right. Good stuff. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Check out Seth Partner's uh, article that we reference here a lot. Really good stuff on the analytics of basketball. Get yourself 40% off. My thanks to Dynasty Owner. Visit DynastyOwner.com. Check out Real Salary Cap NFL Football Fantasy. And my thanks to Hip Parade, the mystery memorabilia box providers, DACardWorld.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>